Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And today we're going to have an interesting study, and we're going to talk to you today about how to have a great restart, right? From time to time, we all need to start all over again, right? In golf, they call it a mulligan. Uh, that's when you smack that ball and it goes into the lake or you smack that ball and it goes into somebody's backyard or out into the woods and you say, I'm never going to find that ball again. And so you get in a mulligan. You get a chance to do another shot and I uh, have it done over again, right? Start all over from the beginning. Well, from time to time, we all need to have a restart. We've all heard the phrase, history repeats itself. In Psalm 85, 6, it says, will you not give us life again? so that your people may be glad in you. Well, as you think about your life and you think about the need for a restart, you know, there's patterns in life. The scriptures show patterns also. Now, if you don't like where you are, make some changes and see how the outcome will be changed. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna share some uh, cycles that we see that we go through or patterns that we see throughout scripture. And I'm going to use 2 Chronicles as an example. The whole book of 2 Chronicles, I'm going to give you a, a brief overview. And then we're going to go back and look at a specific passage found in 2 Chronicles chapter 22. So let's give a history here, a quick history, it won't be long, I promise you, of 2 Chronicles verse number 1 or chapter number 1. Solomon is given wisdom. He asked for wisdom. God says to Solomon, I look at your heart and I see that you have a heart for God. And, uh, and so I'm going to give you anything you want, Solomon. What do you want? And so Solomon says, man, I'm young. Would you give me wisdom to rule your people well? Uh, well, as a result of that, he got not only wisdom, but he got wealth and a lot of influence. In chapter number two of Second Chronicles, Solomon recruits 153,000 workers and they do this unbelievable task of building a temple. They build a temple, they build a, a palace, and uh, the number of people that he hired to work on the palace was 3,600, and the number of people that he hired to work to build the temple was 153,000 people. Uh, that's all chronicled in Second Chronicles chapter number two. So we see that God gives Solomon wisdom. He puts that wisdom to work by building a temple to God. And in number three, or chapter number three, we see that the temple is built, and all of that is kind of outlined in chapter number three, and all that went involved in building that temple. Solomon takes the plans of David. Solomon takes some of the resources that David had prepared for this temple to be built, and a temple is built. Chapter number four of Second Chronicles, we see that the furniture is brought in. Chapter number five of Second Chronicles, we see the Ark of the Covenant is delivered to the temple into that section called the Holy of Holies. Now, chapters 6 and 7, we see a powerful dedication service. You know, whenever a great building is built, they always have that dedication service, right? The temple is dedicated, and Solomon gives a powerful prayer. And he prays, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. You know that prayer, right? Uh, and, and, and it's a powerful, powerful prayer. Solomon gives that prayer on behalf of his nation. He wants his nation to turn back to God and to constantly be focused on God. We get into chapter number eight of 2 Chronicles. Now the villages are being rebuilt. It's amazing how God is bringing prosperity to the nation because Solomon began asking God for wisdom. Solomon builds a mighty temple to the Lord. Solomon dedicates that temple. 
And we discover that as a result of the people of God putting God first, God brings prosperity. The villages are being rebuilt in chapter number eight. Chapter number nine, word gets out of the wisdom of Solomon. It wasn't just a local phenomenon. All of a sudden, the queen of Sheba shows up and she has all this wealth that she brings to the king. And as a result of being impressed with Solomon, she offers up some questions to Solomon and offers all these gifts to Solomon. But then we see something happen. After 40 years of ruling, Solomon dies. Chapter number nine talks about the death of Solomon. And as a result of his death, we discover that there is a kind of a division within the kingdom. Rehoboam takes over, but the kingdom continues to thrive economically, but not spiritually. Now, now this is a very important point, right? Uh, When you think that a nation that falls, it, it falls spiritually before it falls economically. We get into chapter number 11, we discover that the nation is becoming divided, and those who are looking at the nation saying, well, this is great that we have all this prosperity, but we're looking at ourselves and we're far from God. And as a result of that, civil war breaks out in chapter 11. In chapter number 12, we discover that that Rehoboam and all of Israel abandoned the law of God, and there's this continual unrest and this continual warfare. In chapter number 13, Rehoboam is no longer on the throne. Now Abijah becomes king, and he's wrestling the kingdom from his father. Abijah starts strong, but he ends up very far from God. In chapter number 14, we see Asa takes the throne. Asa did good, and he did right in the eyes of the Lord. There's 10 years of peace under his rulership. He removed the foreign altars, and God gives the nation rest. You know, Asa was all about spiritual reformation. In verse number 15, Asa even had his own grandmother, the queen, kicked off the throne because she made an idol. Now you talk about a bold son having his grandmother removed from the throne because she was worshiping an idol. Now, however, there was a shortcoming in Asa. He didn't remove all of the high places. You see, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all of his life, but he left some things undone. In chapter number 16, Asa dies. In chapters 17 through 20, Jehoshaphat becomes king. Now, he struggled because he listened to a lot of opposing voices, but he ended up being a pretty strong king. Just prior to his death, he called the people together to meet at the temple of the Lord and to prepare for a battle. Jehoshaphat wanted to make sure they were ready spiritually And so just as the battle begins, he says these words, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. And he glorifies God and he gathers the head of the armies together. And he says, let's go to battle with this song in our hearts. And Jehoshaphat puts together a song. We actually have that song recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. And it says, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. You may sing that song in your church from time to time. That was a song that was written by Jehoshaphat, and they sang that as they went out to battle. Well, in chapter 21, Jehoshaphat is off the scene, but Jehoram became king. And in chapter 121, we discovered that Jehoram did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was inflicted with an incurable disease, so he dies. And then chapter 22, Ahaziah, who is... Mother was Athaliah, 
I don't know if anybody knows Athaliah's story, but Athaliah encouraged her son to do wrong. You know, we usually think about godly moms, but here we discover that Ahaziah had an ungodly mom who encouraged him to do wrong. But as a result of that, we see things begin to change and God bringing about a new leader, God bringing about a new life for the nation of Israel. So let's talk about that. We're now in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 22. I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 22. And we read this. Jehoiada then made a covenant that he and the people and the king would be the Lord's people. 2 Chronicles chapter 23, verse 16. So for the first 22 chapters of the book of 2 Chronicles, we see an up and down movement of the people. When there's a good king, the people do well. When there's an ungodly king, the people don't do so well. So let's talk about what are the conditions for a refocused life. And and I'll put the bottom uh, of this whole argument is this. When Jesus is king of your life, your life goes well. When you become king of your life, your life doesn't go so well. So who's in charge? Have you put Jesus as co-pilot or is he pilot of your life? When he is the head of your life, your life goes well. Now, it doesn't mean there's no problems. Even the godly kings went to war. I mean, we discover that throughout the whole book of Chronicles, that even godly kings had to fight battles. It wasn't that they had no problems. But the difference was is that they, they were able to constantly be refreshed because Jesus was the center of their lives. So here are the conditions for a refreshed life. Number one, commit to being the Lord's person. When we look at what happens here, we discover that Jehoiada makes this covenant that he and the people and the king would be the Lord's people. Now, this is a covenant that Jesus has made with us. Jesus says, I want you to be my people. I have died to make you my people. But we must willingly surrender ourselves to him. You see, God reaches out to us and he says, I am making this covenant with you. That covenant is based upon his unconditional love for you, his unconditional love for me. When we think about Jehoiada and and starting this ball rolling, he determined to get right with God and he determined to rally the troops. He got the Levites on board. He got the king on board. He got the whole assembly together and he got them all on board. And he says, we are going to make this covenant and we're going to join together. So he had a plan. He he carried out this, this plan of how it was all going to come together. There's something else that Jehoiada did. He also determined that he was going to eliminate some competing distractions. Now, if Jesus is going to be first in your life, there's going to be some things in your life that must be eliminated. Second Chronicles 23, verse 21, all the people of the land rejoiced. The city was quiet because Ahithalah had been slain. But if you go down back to verse number 15, it see, you can see that they went and did something at the gate. At the gate, going into the city... There was a place where they would gather and worship and put people to death. Unbelievable. So they eliminated that horse gate and they made it a place where you could come into the city without distractions. Number three, you got to determine to make that command change. Who is going to be in charge of my life? If we go to the next chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 24, we see that Joash was just seven years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. 
So if you're listening to me today and you know somebody who's young or, or you're young yourself, never think that you're too young or too old to be used by God. God is not looking for somebody who's a certain age. He is looking for people who are available. Are you available for God to use you? So we've talked so far about the things that must change in our lives. If we're going to have a fresh start, we got to, number one, commit to being the Lord's people. Number two, we've got to eliminate all of the competing distractions. You know, there's a lot of good things in life, and good things can turn into God things, and then it competes for our attention. Number three, we've got to determine that there's going to be a command change in my life. God is going to be in charge. And then number four, we must determine to be the church. Now, not just attending the church, but being the church. We go to back to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. We see that Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. What happened? The people stopped worshiping. The temple was being abandoned, not because somebody took it over, but people just stopped going to worship. Now, I want to encourage you to be involved in your church, your local church. Now, I know we got COVID and all that things continues to drag on and on and on, but you need to go to church, right? Listen, if you're going to church, I mean, if you're going out to eat, if you're going to Walmart, if you're going out and do all these other things, you can certainly go to church. I want to encourage you to be involved in worship. Now, as you think about changes that take place in our lives, there's some things that you must expect to happen when you decide to put Jesus on the throne of your life. You can expect a delay. You know, it takes time to get things back in order. I have a dear friend of mine who, who uh, had a lot of issues with his family, a lot of problems with his home. He wasn't the spiritual leader that he ought to be, and, and he decided that I'm going to be the spiritual leader in my home. So I told this dear friend of mine, now listen, I, I, you, what you do is a good thing. I, I'm glad you're doing that, but I want you to know that this is not going to happen overnight. For all these years, you have not been the spiritual leader of your home, and so you're going to have to expect some delays for this to happen. Now, we see that that Joash experienced some delay. I mean, he's just a kid trying to lead the nation back to God, but he's getting them back to worshiping. Joash, as he decides to restore the temple, we discover that the Levites did not act at once. They delayed Maybe they had to check it out and make sure that it was real. I find that there's some people that will delay in coming to follow. You know, it takes time to get things that are out of order back into order. So be patient. Expect a little bit of a delay. But also you can expect some trouble. That's right. You can expect some trouble. If you're going to do the right thing, uh, you can expect some people to come against you. In 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse number 7, it says that the sons of that wicked woman, Athaliah, broke into the temple of God, and used its sacred objects to worship Baal. Ooh, you talk about some trouble. We got trouble at the church house here, guys. We got that wicked woman broke into the temple of God. She's the one that was dethroned, and she rallies people together who are sympathetic toward her cause, and they go into the temple, and they take the sacred objects, and they offer these objects to Baal. So expect some trouble. Listen, not everybody's going to be happy when you get your heart right with God. You're going to have some resistance. But listen, God can work it out for you. If you think about a change in your life, you must determine that you've got to make a contribution to that change. David says, I'm not going to give to the Lord something that costs me nothing. 
Now, the only thing free that you get in life is your salvation. It's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But once you are saved, your life changes. Once you are saved, you discover that God expects me to do something with these gifts that is given to me. We discover that all of the officials and all of the people brought their contributions. Verse number 10, all the officials, all the people brought their contributions and look at how they did it. The Bible says they did it gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites to the king's officials and they saw there was a large amount of money, the royal secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. They did this regularly and they collected a large amount of money. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who carried out to the required workplace in the temple of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters and they restored the Lord's temple and also the workers in iron and bronze to repair the temple. Now, this is unbelievable. Now, you think about a great offering. You know, I, I love doing building programs because generally when you have a building program, people get excited and, and they make large sacrificial offerings. And here we see at this chest of Joash, this happening. Joash, just a kid, leading the nation back to God, and he decided that all of the officials and all of the people were involved in their contributions. Now, notice how they're doing this. If you want drastic change in your life, you got to be generous. It says in verse number 10, they gave gladly. You know, the Bible says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I used to always say the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but I take it from a grouch, right? Well, I want you to know that you lose some of the benefit of giving if you're not doing it with joy, not doing it. You know, the Bible says he loves a hilarious giver, right? Realizing it's a blessing to give. Secondly, we learn that they gave generously. Uh, they weren't stingy. Now, one of the reasons I am so uh, and compelled to be a generous person is because I got thinking about how generous God is to me. I just cannot believe how kind and generous God has been to me. You know, by any estimate, most would say about a third of the world today are followers of Christ. About 30 to 35% of our world's population would say that they are born again. Now, if you're listening to this broadcast, you're probably that one-third. Now, isn't it amazing that God revealed himself to you? I mean, he does reveal himself to all people, but you responded to that gospel message and you have been changed. You think about the joy that you have. I tell people often that I would want to be a follower of Christ even if heaven was never thrown in, just because of the joy that you have knowing that God is going to be with you. He's not going to abandon you. Notice knowing that he will take care of all of your needs, knowing that he is, he's, he's got everything under control. I just that peace that we have because we have this relationship with Christ. When I think about all that God's done for me, how can I help but not be generous? Everything I have belongs to him. Everything that I managed was things that he gave to me. So they gave generously. They gave gladly. And they also gave confidently. Verse number 12 says, they knew the money would be spent as promised. In other words, the project was right before them, and they knew what that money was going to be spent for. It was going to be spent to rebuild the temple. And as a result, they gave with confidence. They gave because they trusted Joash. They knew that he was going to take this money and not build his own uh, wealth or not build his own portfolio. This money was going to go to, to build the temple. We also learned that they gave consistently. 
Verses 13 and 14 says that the men in charge of the work, they were diligent and the work progressed under them. They rebuilt the temple of God according to its original design and they reinforced it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king of Jehoiada and with it, they made articles for the Lord's temple, articles for the service and for the burnt offerings and also dishes and other objects of gold and silver. As long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. Wow. They gave with confidence. They gave consistently. Now I want to talk to you about the benefit of giving consistently. You know, when I was in seminary, I was going through a financially difficult time and as a result, I, I began to bargain with God. Uh, both my wife and I were in school together, and uh, I was serving as a youth pastor, and it was one of those positions that it was a position without pay. And I don't know if you've ever been in those positions uh, where you are serving God and you're not compensated for it. And it was no problem. I, I was glad to do that. But I was also in seminary, and my wife was also in college. And so I was thinking, you know, this is my little pea brain going in motion, I was thinking that, you know what, what little income I make uh, from, from working and delivering newspapers at three o'clock in the morning, and then my wife works for J. Crew, and, I, and so my thought was, what little I make should be tithe deductible. That was my process of thinking. And I said, after all, I am serving the Lord with my time. I am preparing for ministry and my education, which nobody is paying for except for me. Uh, you know, I didn't have a church paying for that, and, and I wasn't smart enough to get scholarships. And so my little mind rationalized that, that I can go ahead and my income is tithe deductible because I'm in a unique situation. Well, you know, the Lord began to rebuke me about that. And he says, now listen, you knucklehead. How in the world do you think you're going to be able to have people trust you managing God's money if you don't even trust him. And so I learned very early. My wife and I had been been married for just two weeks, and we decided we are going to be tithing. I had been tithing up to that point, uh, but I kind of went through this little mental exercise in my mind of how I could be justified not to give, but the Lord took that from me. So 32 years my wife had been married, and, uh, and we've gone way beyond the tithe. The tithe is a good place to start. You know, I want to get to the point one day where I can live on 10% and give 90% back to the Lord. So every year, we systematically, incrementally increase what we give to the Lord. So we're way beyond the tithe now because we've discovered something. Uh, when we first started tithing, in some ways it was easier because we didn't have a whole lot of money, uh, but in some ways it was harder because we didn't have a whole lot of money, okay? Uh, and so we lived on macaroni and cheese and hot dogs, and, and I remember when I was a student at Liberty, they had just opened up the Taco Bell off Ward's Road, and uh, they had the, uh, you could get, uh, they had the two for one. You could buy two bean burritos for a dollar, and uh, so we went and got two bean burritos, and we'd share a large Coke together, and that'd be our meal together, and then we lived, like I said, on macaroni and cheese, and, and uh, you know, you get a you get some hot dogs for a pack of hot dogs, the, the chicken processed hot dogs for 99 cents for a package. And, and so that's kind of how we lived all the way through our, our college and seminary years. But you know, God took care of us and God blessed us beyond my expectation. I saw God come through time and time again. So if you want to have a life that doesn't have regrets, you got to realize that you got to trust God every step of the way. If you're going to have a life that is filled with regret, this is what you got to do. Listen to ungodly people. Listen to people that are disgruntled, and you won't have any trouble finding them. 
You probably got them in your church. You probably got them in your house. You probably got them at work. Uh, We discovered that there was some regrets that those had. Uh, The Bible says that after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and they paid homage to the king and he listened to them. As you think about those, those are the people that didn't get on board. They listened to the wrong people. If you want to live a life filled with regret, just abandon the church and start worshiping idols. It says in verse number 18, when they abandoned the temple of God, the God of their fathers, and they began to worship the Asherah poles and the idols, uh, they began to experience God's guilt and God's anger was upon them. Well, I could share some other things that will happen to you if you want to live a life filled with regrets. If you want to have a life filled with regret, just ignore sin. I don't deal with sin in your life. Even though people may come to you and try to help you navigate through that, just go ahead and ignore that. You will have a life of regrets. Ignore the law of sowing and reaping. You'll have a life of regrets. Well, you don't have to live that life. That's the great thing about the message today. You don't have to live that life of regret. You can have a fresh start today. Today is a new beginning. Today is the day that the Lord hath made. It's a great day to begin again. Maybe you need to reaffirm your relationship with Christ today. Just pray a simple prayer. Lord, I have messed up. I have drifted in my relationship with you. And today, I want to come on back. I want to get on the right track. A simple little prayer will get you on that right track. And I want to help you as you become more like Christ. Hey, send me an email or give me a call. Uh, The church number is 757-421-7500. Give me a call and I'll be glad to help you any way that I can. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.